My name is James. This is my lovely bride, Wendy, of over 25 years now. We're thankful that you're joining us here. We wanted to just let you know that uh, as we're going to be uh, continuing the journey through the Psalms this morning and having some worship, we just wanted to alert you on a couple announcements. And that is, first of all, calvarysaw.com. That's your place where you can get all the information you need both in the worship guide, study guide for Sundays, as it'll be helpful for you as we go through everything to follow along. There's downloads for your kids. Uh, there's a weekly schedule on different gatherings during the week, which my wife will talk about in a second. And uh, we're just excited about our community care page, among other things. So check out calvaries.com and welcome again. Thank you for joining us this morning. By the way, if you're like me, I'm eating way too much sourdough bread. <laughs> if you're joining us live on Facebook, we would love to hear who you are and where you're from. So go ahead and let us know in the comment section um, if you would. And just a little bit of information, more information about our weekly opportunities. First of all, we would love to have you join our prayer room today right after the service. So you can click the link on daily prayer and join us there right after the service today. There's also opportunities um, in the mornings and in the evenings for prayer as well. So you'll see that on the website under daily prayer, as well as opportunities for weekly gatherings. I know for us, it has been such a gift, such a blessing to be a part of a small group yeah. um, in our weekly gathering. It's been so encouraging. Um, we worship together. We pray together. We read God's word together. And we always love new people to join. So if you haven't yet, can you make that a goal this week to find a weekly gathering to get plugged into uh, we'd love to have you join and you will be blessed yeah wonderful also as far as giving i know it's a challenging time for many of us to give but god loves a cheerful giver and i'd encourage you to consider two main ways to give first one is just generally giving to our general fund through tithes and offerings to the lord to give to the lord is something of every disciple's responsibility but we really do believe in the cause and the mission of the church we encourage you if you're blessed by the ministry if you're a regular member of the ministry then I encourage you to give tithes and offerings through you can go to the website or there's myriad of ways you can give that slide should be up now uh, one of those ways is going to the website but also if you do go to the website there's a drop down menu in our giving page or giving section that says community care and that's a specific fund set up for aid for people in need for rent groceries bills that kind of thing we want to build that fund up mm. to a greater measure to be a, a blessing to those in the church and also in our community so if you'd like to give specifically to that fund that is available for you there so we're excited about that and being a blessing to mm. others yeah great well guys be blessed we now have an opportunity to enter into worship together as we are led by michael lakaye here he is all right. Good morning, everybody. Uh, thanks so, so much for joining us and, and worshiping with us through a virtual meeting. I'm, I'm missing you guys a lot, um, but also really excited to be able to worship together even as we're apart. Um, so I'll pray for us and then we'll sing some songs of worship together. Um, God, we just thank you so much that your your presence is what uh, brings us together. Your your presence unifies us. And I just thank you so much that none of this catches you off guard, but that you're above all of it and you're bigger than all of it and that um, when we enter into your presence that there's so much peace there um, so i just pray right now this morning as we are entering into worship just that as we sing songs of how great you are and and um, uh, just thanking you for your love for us i pray that we would um, enter into that peace and that you would give us your spirit and fill us up um, so that we can feel uh, your your love your presence your peace and all the fruits of the spirit and and uh 
and draw into you as we do that. God, we love you and we pray these things in your name.
With melody You surround me with a song Of deliverance From my enemies Till all my fears are gone From my mother's womb, you have chosen me. Your love has called my name. I've been born again to your family. Your blood flows through.
Hey, good morning, Calvary Slow friends, family, guests. So glad that you took some time to tune in, to be a part of this. Um, Our hope is that in these unprecedented times that we find ourselves, that you would discover God's grace, God's kindness, God's presence in ways like you've never had before. Um, Again, thanks for taking a moment to tune in. Hey, real quick, if you could just do us a favor. It would be great to kind of know where you're at. So if you wouldn't mind just taking a brief moment and just posting in the comments below, doing two things. Number one, posting in the comments um, as to where you're from, where you're watching, where you're tuning in. It's been kind of really encouraging to see people literally from around the world uh, tuning in, being a part of this. Again, our aim is not to just simply provide content for you as if our aim is to just uh, create uh, more consumers at home. It's not our desire. Our desire is actually to give you content so that you then can take this content and then really begin to live as a disciple of Jesus uh, in your lives, day-to-day lives in the midst of this testing period that we find ourselves in, in the middle of. And then the second thing, uh, share it. Uh, would love to continue to spread the word. So if you would just take a brief instant and uh, press the share button and send it out far and wide. You know, maybe your your aunt that's at home um, locked in and uh, not really connected with anybody. It's a unique way for her or whoever that you know to be brought in. Maybe a neighbor that you know that uh, just needs some companionship and some good word of encouragement. Just a simple way to kind of bring them into that. All right, so what I want to do right now is I want to just kind of pick up where we have been. So we have been in a series in Psalms that we started technically two weeks ago, but last week was kind of our first initial jumping into the Psalms themselves. What we're inviting you into is not just listening to a teaching on Psalms, but really more so an engagement with the Psalms. Uh, We've been looking at this as a season of really... um, Um, reading the Psalms, digging into them, praying through them, letting them give us vocabulary and information as to how to make sense of the trauma and the craziness that we find ourselves in the midst of. So uh, what we invited you into last week, and I'll just reiterate to invite you into as well, is to read the Psalms, to read a Psalm every single day. And if you would like some information as to um, not only how to read the Psalms, but some also companion information that will go along with that as well. Uh, I highly recommend just going to our website, calvaryslow.com. Um, on there, under Sunday worship, there will be um, information for you that will take you to our Sunday worship guide. On the Sunday worship guide, there's an actual companion resource guide for the Psalms, which means every single day of the week, it will basically map out for you what Psalm to read. So that's what we're inviting into, reading a Psalm every single day. So if you've been keeping up to speed with us as we've been reading through Psalms, today, Sunday, you will be beginning Psalm 8, and then you will continue tomorrow, Psalm 9, next day, Psalm 10, on and on and on until the next Sunday. So again, as we mentioned last week, um, each Sunday, the teaching will be a Psalm, 
one psalm from that basic span of psalms that you read throughout the week. So the big idea behind that is as you are daily engaging with the psalms, as a daily practice and praying through the psalms, God's giving you vocabulary. Our hope and prayer is that as you are doing that, uh, you are experiencing renewal and refreshment from God's presence, God's spirit. Um, And as we gather on a weekly rhythm, through the Sunday worship like we're doing right now, um, and then through our weekly gatherings. Again, uh, these are small gatherings that gather throughout the week. It could be Monday through Saturday, whenever, um, morning, evening, midday, whatever. But the big idea is that you're gathering with people. And again, what we've encouraged you to do is either find a group, go to our website, calvaryso.com, and information right there under weekly gatherings is there for you. Um, or form a group. So if one of those groups doesn't work for you, form a group, which means just grab a handful of people. Um, What we've been saying all along is that in this uh, post-COVID world that we find ourselves in, or present COVID world that we find ourselves in, we're not quite post yet, um, your discipleship to Jesus is something that you can't just simply walk into a church now and have someone else do for you. Uh, If you're truly going to follow Jesus, you have to make some choices and decisions in terms of how you form your life and what practices that you actually engage in. So that's what we're inviting you into is to practice uh, daily rhythms, practice weekly rhythms. And this is what it's all about. We are now going to jump into a time of reading through the Psalms. Martin Luther described the Psalms being so important. He said this, that the Psalms could be entitled a little Bible. Since everything contained in the entire Bible is beautifully and briefly compacted into it. He says, the human heart is like a ship on a stormy sea, driven about by winds. The book of Psalms is full of heartfelt utterances made during these storms. Love that. In them, you can see the hearts of saints as you were looking at a beautiful garden or gazing into heaven itself. I love that imagery because that's, that's what we see. We see people in the Psalms as they are processing life's traumatic storms. And I think it'd be safe to say that for many of us, that's what this world feels like right now is a traumatic storm. Our hope, our prayer for you, that you would move into the language and vocabulary of the Psalms to really encounter uh, the life of God in the midst of your quarantine. So that being said, what we're going to do right now is we're going to jump into the Psalms. Psalm 8 is what we're going to be looking at here today. So why don't you grab your Bibles, open them up if you would, if you're sitting on a couch or in some place around, you know, a dining room table or whatever with a handful of people. Uh, If you would like, you can just mute it and you can read these on your own or you can listen to me right now. I'm going to read the Psalm and then we're going to jump in and kind of uh, talk a little bit about what it has to say and then we will wrap it up with some final thoughts. Psalm 8 begins like this, verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy in the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? and the son of man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and you've crowned him with glory and honor and you have given him dominion over the works of your hands and you put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. And then he finishes with this same line that he opens with, O Lord, 
our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is a psalm that is so amazing. Um, and my practice, my personal daily practice um, of really praying through the Psalms has been to, um, I listened to it on the Dwell app, which I've talked about quite a bit, the Dwell, D-W-E-L-L, definitely check it out in the app store. It's literally my all-time favorite app that I've ever had. I use it more than any other app. And it's just, it's an app that allows you to listen to scripture. It plays background music. This is not an advertisement for it. No one gave it to me for free. So there you go. Uh, But the idea is it's a way of engaging the scripture, of letting the scripture just recite, repeat, listen, meditatively pray and think about and consider and contemplate the scripture and what God is speaking. And uh, this has been a really rich practice for me on several different notes and several different occasions. I've just really sensed God speak directly to my heart, giving me personally vocabulary for some really dark, um, hard, trying, some trial, trial sometimes that I've actually, my, myself have gone through, that the Psalms have actually helped me, assisted me in the midst of those challenges. And my invitation to you is, is to introduce yourself to the Psalms, make it your daily practice like that. And I have confidence that God, through his Holy Spirit, will also bring about those moments of encounter uh, with his presence with you. It might not happen right away. It might take a long time of just processing, of pressing in. But here's the point, is that if it's worth having your life transformed for, it's worth the long obedience, as Eugene Peterson described, in the same direction. The long, lived-out obedience, not just once in a while, not just reading the scripture once a day for the next three days and then giving up because nothing happened, but making as a part of your daily practice whereby you will be formed and transformed and shaped into the likeness of Jesus according to the way of God. So that's our hope, that's our prayer. But as we've been uh, reading through the Psalms, as we come to Psalm 8, one of the things that we recognize about this incredible Psalm is number one, that this is actually the very first Psalm in the entire book of Psalms. It's kind of like a, a a shout of praise to God. The other Psalms up until this point have had some other elements to it. This is really the first one that kind of opens up with this acclamation, this praise worthiness of, of Yahweh. And again, he starts off with this meditation, giving glory to God. But the other element to it, it's not just simply glorifying God, bringing praise to God, but it's also elevating and revealing the truest identity of human beings. And this is what I find really fascinating about this psalm, that one of the reasons why I really felt it was so appropriate, I think, in this season right now, for us to really kind of dig a little bit deeper in the psalm. And I think the Holy Spirit has some good words for us to learn and grow and think about and consider as we jump into this. The idea of identity is one that is so essential to us as human beings. And I would even say it's one of which that really, for many people right now, uh, has created incredible compromise or a challenge, I should say, difficulty. Because many of the things that we have used to formulate, to create, um, fabricate our identity are in a state of suspended animation. Uh, So, for example, some of us, uh, you may have found your identity in your job, but you've lost your job. And now you're in this state of, who am I now? Um, I've been through experiences like that before, not necessarily losing a job, but several years ago, I went through an experience where I had some issues with my throat, and I was in this moment of like, oh my gosh, I might not be able to ever speak again or talk again. And if something happens, I mean, I mean what, what does my future look like? It's kind of an existential crisis of 
of who am I in light of me not being able to do this thing that I find so much, not only joy in, but maybe I've created an idol out of it, meaning that is the very thing that I derive my identity, my worth, my dignity, my value from, but now that very thing is off limits to me. Uh, Big question is now what? And this is why I think the psalm is so important for us to just consider and think about. So what I want to do right now is I want to um, just jump in. We'll take a look at a couple things. Two things before we re- do that. I want to read a couple quick quotes. A.W. Tozer uh, said this. He says, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I think there's so much truth to that. Um, in other words, what you think about God, how you feel, formulate your ideas about who God is actually um, is very significant to how you live your life, but it also says a lot about you, um, how you are going to live, how are you going to treat other people. Um, But C.S. Lewis kind of countered this claim with another sort of way or another angle of spinning this gem, I think, and trying to look at it from a different angle. He says something to this effect. Again, I don't know if he's actually reading uh, or interplaying specifically with Tozer's quote, but here's what he says. I read a periodical the other day that the fundamental thing is how we think about God. Then he goes on to say, but by God himself, it is not. How God thinks about us is not, how God thinks about us is not only more important, it is infinitely more important. Indeed, how we think about him is of no importance except insofar as it is related to how he thinks about us. And so what C.S. Lewis is basically arguing is that really it's kind of this reciprocating thing, like how we think God thinks about us is ultimately gonna shape how we think about God. And how we think about God and how he thinks about us will create a person that lives this life. And that will shape how we treat other people, how we think about the world in which we live in, how we think about ecology and uh, nature and other people and anthropology and how people live and whether or not it really matters uh, trying to help other people that are in the margins or hurting or broken or of minority groups or people that are oppressed. All of this matters. Uh, And it's all linked interconnected to not only how we think about God, but how we think God thinks about us. And it creates this cycle. And this is what's so amazing about the psalm is this psalm actually basically breaks it down. There's like two movements, two main meditations that the psalmist really brings to light. And I just want to focus on those and then we'll wrap it up. So number one, we'll take a look at God's majesty. God's majesty It's how the psalm starts and it also ends. This is what's basically called an envelope structure, meaning at the beginning and at the end, or you can think of it as book, it's bookmarked, bookended by uh, an intro um, concept, meaning God's majesty, and then it closes with that same uh, majesty uh, that's put on pen. It's a pen on paper, and it's really this amazing depiction. So in other words, immediately you are brought into this awareness that what's on the psalmist's mind in this moment is God's greatness. He's very what we would call theocentric. He's centered upon God. Yes, he's got challenges in his life. Yes, there are difficulties, no doubt he's facing. He's a human being. He's literally living in the race of other human beings. But in the moment, he's choosing to focus upon the majesty of God. So we'll, we'll come back. The second thing we'll take a look at is uh, man's identity. So what I'm going to do real quick, let's real fast kind of look at man or God's majesty. Again, listen to the phrase again. Oh Lord, 
our Lord. Uh, pause right there. So the first word of that entire sentence is the word capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Um, whenever you read that in your Bible, it's always indicative of the fact that it's, this is kind of like the covenantal name of God, or what we would call uh, Yahweh or Jehovah, depending upon how you would uh, uh, interpret that or translate that. But the idea of, of Yahweh, he's basically saying Yahweh is Lord. And then he goes on to describe a little bit about what this means. How majestic is your name in all the earth. So immediately what the psalmist does is he reminds not only himself, but the readers, that's you and I, that God is a king. Now, I don't know how you think about that or how you relate to that. Those that are longing for order instead of chaos are longing for good leadership, right? right? That's part of the problem right now I think that we are having in the world, aside from a pandemic, is immediately following something like that, like a pandemic, we're looking for leadership. Who is going to lead us through this chaos, this morass, this difficulty, this hardship? And that's the big question that's on everybody's mind. Um, you, all you got to do is pick up a newspaper, and every single day you're going to see another angle that says, well, this guy is taking leadership. This guy is taking leadership. China is taking leadership. America is taking leadership. Bill Gates is taking leadership. And the whole idea is that there is a longing for the bigger question, who is in charge of this world? And this is what the psalmist comes back to as he's reflecting upon this, his, his Yahweh. You are Lord. You are majesty. You are the king. You are in charge. Now, Again, like I said, if you are somebody that longs for order out of chaos, peace out of the brokenness, um, this is really good news to you. If you're somebody that feels threatened by God or feels like God is an invader in our world or God is a crutch, or how, again, how you think about God will tell others about really who you are. Because if God is nothing more than an invader, then this thought of what the psalmist proposes is deeply offensive and troubling. But I digress. The point of the matter is that the psalmist wants us to understand is that God is majestic. How excellent is your name above all the earth? He says, you have set your glory above the heavens. So this is kingdom language. This is language that identifies um, the answer to the question, who is in charge around here? According to the psalmist, it's Yahweh. He's in charge. But the story gets a little bit more nuanced and complex in a, the most profoundly beautiful way. Because apparently, according to psalmist, um, even though God is the supreme king overall, God also shares his majesty, uh, uh, his, majesty his, his goodness, his call to rule and reign to others. And this is where the story gets amazing because it begins to now move into this little second uh, meditation, which we'll look at now, which is a man's identity. This is where the psalmist begins to kind of jump in to identify. And we'll read this in just a moment. Before I do that, I want to just take a real brief moment and pause and think about something because we live in a culture right now that is all about trying to discover one's identity. And there's an interesting um, shift that's happened in our culture. And I don't know exactly the time frame in which this has happened, probably maybe the past 100, maybe 50, maybe 75 years, maybe even a little bit longer, maybe the past 200 years since the Enlightenment, somewhere around there. But the big idea is that something has shifted from how, especially Western cultures, um, come to answer the question of who am I? I'll give you an example. Um, in ancient, more traditional cultures, 
your identity was actually given to you by the king, by the state, even in some cultures today, for example, like North Korea, your identity is literally given to you by the government, which is, which is crazy to think about that. Like the government will tell you, here's who, here's who you are. You belong to this story and this is where your life finds its placement is in this bigger story. And for many of us Westerners and modern and progressive, progressing type people, we tend to look at that and just, we, we, we laugh, we think it's ridiculous and silly because we oftentimes find ourselves thinking or assuming that we are far more advanced than that, we're less oppressive and all that. But here's the point that I would make. In modern cultures, um, our identity is not something that's given to us, it's something that's discovered, which means it's entirely incumbent upon you to figure out who you are. This is this right here, this thought alone, can be overwhelming because it means that who you truly are, uh, aside from everything else that's going on in your life, it is totally dependent upon you to figure out who you are. Like your identity is something that you have to discover. And as has been identified by many different pastors and teachers and people that have kind of studied these things, there's three different ways in which uh, modern cultures, for the most part, um, determine and discover their identity. Here's Three different ways. Number one, um, modern culture basically trains us. I like to think of it as a, it's a discipleship course, though the discipleship is not in following Jesus. It's in discovering your own identity. In other words, you are at the center of this. Um, the center of our lives from a secular culture is not God, like the psalmist. His world was theocentric, centered around God. Our modern culture is centered on ourselves. But in this modern culture, uh, the modern culture trains us to basically say, um, I am... Number one, what I acquire. Number one, I am what I acquire. This is uh, purely external. Um, it, you could, if you play it out even further, it's deeply artificial. This is the idea that basically says, I am however many toys I have, the type of car that I drive, if I have a G-Wagon, if I have a Tesla, if I have a lot of money, if I have you know $100 bills coming out of my pocket, if I've got a trophy wife or a trophy husband or six-pack abs, I am who I, what I acquire. Um, that's number one, that our identity, I'm happy when I have, and you fill in the blank, I'm happy when I have the job, I'm happy when I have whatever, we fill in the blank. Uh, but there's also a counter narrative to that that basically says I'm really deeply unhappy and depressed and in a state of irreparable brokenness when I lost my trophy wife or trophy spouse or loving you know, or job that gave me whatever it was or my possessions or my stock you know, market crashed and I lose all my money. All of these things um, are called into question, especially, I think, in this moment which we find ourselves, this cultural moment, whereby many people have lost their jobs. There's a deep uh, instability when it comes to financial investments and how will I spend my money and how will I acquire stuff. We are in a state right now of suspended animation of spending money for the most part, and oftentimes it's, our identity is linked to that. Secondly, is not only our identity. Secondly, is um, I am what I feel. I am what I acquire is number one. I am what I feel is the second thing. And this is the idea of basically saying, how, how do I feel is who I truly am. So in a lot of ways, this kind of plays into this phrase, this concept. You know, you do you. You do you. I'll do me. Which, what does that really mean? It basically means whoever you feel you are to be, that's, that's who you are. 
uh, whoever I feel myself to be, that's who I am. Here's the big question, the big problem or challenge with regard to that is what about conflicting desires? Uh, as human beings, we're constantly in the midst of this tension of conflicting desires. I'll give you a silly, dumb example. But right now, everybody and their siblings are making you know, homemade, fresh sourdough. I got a lot of time on their hands, I guess, which is, again... Awesome, but also devastatingly horrible because all I want to do is eat all the sourdough that I am able to be given and with a lot of butter on it because I like sourdough. But I also at the same time realize I don't want to feel sick afterwards and I don't want to gain 50 pounds. I have deeply conflicted desires and so do you. There's things that on the one hand we we long for, we desire, but on the other hand we realize if we embrace those things or live for those things, then we will be causing great chaos in other areas of our lives. So number one, I am what I acquire. Number two, I am what I feel. Um, the second thing with regard to I am what I feel, the real question that comes out of that is who, which one is the real you? Um, I've given the analogy many times before, but um, your five-year-from-now self will look at your present self right now and say, what were you thinking? Why did you dress like that? Why did you wear your hair like that? Why did you do that? Because we are always moving. Like in the moment we think this is what I want. So I give myself whatever it is that I want. But here's the point is that when we anchor our identity in that is when we become controlled by that. We become a slave to that. This is the biblical language of that. Thirdly is not only do we see I am what I acquire. Number two, I am what I feel. Number three is I am whatever I say that I am. That's more of a modern uh, modification of this whole thing. It doesn't matter what I have because some people are like that, you know, especially if you live on the Central Coast. I don't think Central Coast people are as committed to what I own, what I possess. Though we do have our own like little things like that that we're all about. You know, it's like if you got your Patagonia, you got your Subaru, you've got your whatever it is, and somehow you're in this like little club. But the point of the matter is, is that uh, we might not be fixated upon those particular things. So it might not be what I acquire or what I feel, but really it's whatever it is that I say that I am, that's who I truly am. All of this is what I'm trying to say. At the end of the day, all of these are nothing more than a pursuit of exhaustion. And they're constantly shifting, constantly changing. And if you give yourself to these things, they will ruin you. They will create deep brokenness, anxiety, and exhaustion deep in your soul. And what I'm suggesting is there's a different way to live our lives that is in alignment with how God says to live your life. And again, like I said, it goes back to this bigger question of like, how do I get my identity? Is this something that I actually have to myself innovate, create? Or is this something that I can actually be given? This is what the psalmist, again, ancient wisdom, ancient literature that we're tapping into. This is giving us vocabulary and language and words and uh, inspired truth to anchor our lives into. And here's what the psalmist goes on to say. Because there's basically three things he's going to describe to us of how God sees him. This is what he's musing on or thinking about or meditating upon. Listen to what he says again. What is man that you are mindful of him and that you visited him or care for him? If you have an older translation like the King James Version, it says visited him. That particular word in the Hebrew could be uh, translated in either one of those two different words. Um, the idea basically is when somebody shows up and cares for and um, is tangible, they're present, that is a way of showing care and kindness. So again, um, and it's not until you get to the New Testament and you 
get into the story of Jesus, that you begin to realize the claims that he makes, not only about himself, but what the authors in the New Testament are making about Jesus, is that he's fulfilling these promises of God coming into amidst his people to carry their sin, to take their sin, to do something with the rebellion and the chaos and the brokenness. And it's not until we get to the cross that we see that what Jesus does is he is working on behalf of God. Paul would later say that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, um, that God was doing something through Jesus on the cross, taking into himself the chaos. That's what the cross was. It was the ultimate form of chaos that Jesus brings upon himself. And this is, you know, again, when we think about this, like, like the writer of the psalm, probably David, is meditating, thinking about, God, you care for us. You care for us. Now, the way that David probably would have been thinking about God's care in tangible ways would have gone all the way back to their ancient history. Like, for example, the Exodus, maybe some other tangible examples in David's life where he experienced God's provision. Maybe when David and Goliath took place. In fact, this is, this is a psalm where some actually believe that this is linked to the story of David's, you know, slaying his great giant Goliath. But either way, David's being reminded that not only does God think about me, not only is he mindful of me, and that's mind-blowing enough, but he's also caring for me. He cares for us. He takes care of us. And again, like I said, it's not until you get to the New Testament and you see the life of Jesus that you understand to the degree to which God truly has demonstrated his care for us. Lastly, uh, we see that you are, in terms of your identity that's being given to you, should you receive it, is you are crowned by God, crowned by God. This is a language that Paul, or that the writer here uses, but Paul even picks up, even elaborates upon all of the unique ways in which God cares for us, crowns us. The word crown could also be used to describe uh, something that encircles you or covers you or entwines you. Uh, the idea is being wrapped in something. Um, and in this context, he's saying, you are crowned by God. Listen to how the psalmist uses the language. Yet you have made him, human beings, and again, when he uses the word he, uh, him, it's a gender neutral term that means you know, all human beings. You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. Some believe this to be like angels or angelic beings or some uh, would see this as like uh, the, or the Hebrew word, there's Elohim, uh, divine beings that are intangible, meaning they don't have a body. And yet you have crowned him human beings with glory and honor and you've given him dominion over the works of your hands and you put all things under his feet this language that the psalmist is actually using here is actually taken straight from genesis 1 1 2 3 it's it's, it's genesis 1 language in other words what he's doing is he's linking this entire storyline into the ancient hebrew story of the bible um, in other words, what he's doing is he's living out fully, completely receiving the identity that God has given him. And as a result of that, you see the psalmist being able to praise and be full of gratitude and thankfulness and recognition. Uh, you could say that the psalmist, in this moment in his life, as he's reflecting upon who God is, he's also receiving his truest identity. And this creates in the psalmist a deep degree of equilibrium, of balance, stability. And I would suggest to all of us that are considering and thinking about these types of things right now, who am I? Who am I 
I'm not able to go to work. Who am I if I'm not able to buy or pay my rent or buy whatever, acquire or whatever, or be something that I want to be or to accomplish something that I deeply want to accomplish? Who am I? And the answer of the psalmist is, in light of God, you are crowned with glory and honor and dominion. You've been given some ability to create. This is what God is basically bringing us into. Now, again, as human beings, we know that we have drifted. Uh, human beings are a long, elaborate history of missing our greatest potential. Um, that's kind of the tragedy as well as the beauty of humanity. On the one hand, human beings can create incredibly uh, beautiful arrays of kindness and goodness in this world. But on the other hand, we can create things, create things like the atomic bomb and we can uh, create chaos and brokenness and destruction in other people's lives. And it's not just evil that's out there. It's evil that's right here that I'm a contributor of as well. But listen, as he goes on to say, and you've given him dominion over all the works of your hands and you put all things under his feet, all sheep, all oxen, all beasts of the fields. Again, uh, Genesis 1 language and the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along in the paths of the sea. And here's what he's saying is that human beings, though they have drifted again, he's not he's not stating this because it's not explicit there in the text, but because he lives in the deep biblical rich world of the story of God, he knows, he's not under any impression that human beings are somehow perfect. He knows they're deeply flawed. But he's also deeply tethered to the storyline of Genesis that God created all things good, even though human beings have drifted far from that, that God is still, he's never, he's never strayed from his original call to invite human beings to be a part of, to be like a, an under-manager in this world, to exercise dominion over it. Uh, scholar and theologian, a guy by the name Walter Brueggemann, says this, that humans are God's likeness, God's representatives, and having dominion over the works of his fingers. He goes on to say, humans receive the gift of caring for creation as the shepherd king, God, Yahweh, cares for the kingdom. So just as God cares for all that he has created, he's inviting human beings to be like him, to represent him, represent, to represent him on this planet by caring for other human beings. Jesus would put it this way. It's just loving your neighbor. It's caring for others around you. It's extending to them the same dignity and value and respect that you as a human being are in a desperate and maybe in some cases a frantic search for and for many of us, maybe it's deeply elusive. We've never been able to fully grasp it. For others of us, we've somewhat found it or we think we found it for a moment because we have that thing that we long for. We've acquired that thing. But at some point, that thing will break or slip out of our hands or have an expiration date that it will go away. And then we find ourselves back in the same venture again. And what the invitation, I think, of the psalmist is, is to pause, to reflect upon the greatness, the majesty of God. So how he closes the psalm, the way he opens. Listen. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And I would suggest to you, all of us, to the degree that we embrace the revelation of what the psalmist shows to us about who God is. He's, he's a king. And he's in control. And he's a good king. And he cares for us. He loves us. He invites us into this world so that we do not have to live under this perennial threat that God is an intruder into my life. Actually, God is the redeemer. He wants to show himself. So 
No matter where you're at, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is really good news for you because it's a deep reminder that all is not hopeless, that the world in which we live in is not absent from the presence of God, that God is still like C.S. Lewis describes of Aslan. He's on the move, that God is on the move. God is still working and moving in unique ways. But if you're listening, you're not a Christian. You're someone that is still wrestling with the claims of Jesus. My hope would be that you would see this God that is not only a king, but he's a good king. He loves you. His aim is to set things right in your life. So my invitation to you would be to trust this God to seek him, to enter in the world of the Psalms. So today, Psalm 8, read it, meditate upon it, think about it, consider it. Tomorrow, read Psalm 9. The next day, Psalm 10, and on and on and on until we get to the next week and just repeat that cycle over and over again. Uh, we're going to finish with another song of worship and considering God's greatness and his love. So may grace, mercy, and peace from the triune God be yours. God bless you.
Thank you this morning for that truth that you have made us clean and pure and you've made us yours again by the blood of Jesus. And we thank you for the work that you're doing and that you um, are going to do in and through us. And We just pray that you would move us to draw near to you and listen to your voice and your spirit and be the people that you're calling us to be in this time, in this day, in this age. And we love you and we pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, you guys, thank you so much for joining in with us this morning, and we look forward to uh, seeing you next week.